All right, I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 6 in your scriptures today. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to start a new series, and this will be the last one. Then we're actually we're, we're, we're going to go into a New Testament study. I was asked this morning what, what the New Testament study is going to be. I don't know. At any moment, I think I've really settled. It's kind of like, what's your favorite scripture? Well, whatever I've read that day, right? I mean, it's like hard to pick your favorite. So... Um, I've been praying through what the New Testament book would be. But we're going to do a topical series, uh, one last one before we go into a New Testament study. Um, and since I've preached on emotions and did the fear of the Lord kind of look at that emotion, I've, I've preached a series on anxiety. Um, I've preached a series on depression. I've preached on some different emotions. Uh, but I really want to take some time to explore with you the emotion of anger, right? I want to look at anger. And you might be thinking, man... On Father's Day, you're going to start one like that? Man, I can't think of a better day to actually start one on that. Not because all of our fathers are angry in here, but really when you look in the scriptures and you look at some really didactic teaching, it actually gives a warning to dads that our influence in the home and the temptation of men is anger. And so... How we, how we respond in our fatherhood. So there's a direct warning to it. So I think this is a great way to start off the series. Then next week we'll be looking at the heart of anger. We'll be looking at the difference between righteous anger and unrighteous anger. We're going to look at the thing of can you be angry at God? What is, is there a such thing as being angry itself? We're going to kind of explore the space of what scriptures say about anger. But I want to start today, since it's Father's Day, uh, Happy Father's Day. I just want to look at this subject of what, did the, what does the Bible call us fathers to be um, aware of when it comes to the subject of anger? And I want to tell you this. This message is really not, I mean, it's for fathers. Uh, it applies to mothers. Uh, moms can get angry with their children. Can I get amen, moms? Can I get amen? I mean, you know, it can happen, right? But we see something specific in scriptures that it names out men. So let's do this. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. And I want to show this to you. And, and the title, if you want uh, a title for today's message. Now, I'm going to call this series The Heart of Anger. The Heart of Anger. If you want a title for today's message, uh, I'll try to come up with something really cute. You could call it Provoking Papa. <laughs> um, you want to call it that? That's kind of cute. If you want something a little less cute, you could just call, you could just say Fathers That Promote, That Provoke and Discourage. Fathers That provoke and discourage, or you could go provoking Papa, whatever. That sounds like an oxymoron, but let's do it. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1 through 4. I want you to look in verse 1. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So he's just giving the household code here. He'd already given the code for husband and wife in verse 22 through 33. He's now moving towards the children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's still a good thing to obey your parents, and it has everything to do with the Lord. Not their worthiness, but His worthiness. Verse 2, honor your mother and father. It's the first commandment with promise. Verse 3, that it may be well with you, that you may live long in the land. As a side note, if you are under the authority of parents still, um, just uh, this is just free if you're online, if you're here. Um, if you want to, there are blessings in life for obeying mother and father. And as long as they're not asking you to sin, God calls you to obey them. And even, even if you disagree, there is a blessing and there is a character molding that God is doing through that process. 
And one of the greatest things that will ever be in your life is if you can learn to obey authority at a young age, you'll be able to obey God's authority at, 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 at an age when, when you know, all, the Lord is the one that's ruling your life. Right now there's a governor on your life that you have your parents. There's only so far you can go. But now we get to verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Here's what's interesting. Now, in verses 1 through 3, children are to obey only their fathers in verse 1. Yes or no? No, right? They are to obey him, but also her. Parents, woman, man, right? But notice when you get to verse 4. It doesn't say any warning towards the moms, does it? It doesn't warn the mom. It says, obey your parents, but then it gets to verse 4, and it has a specific fathers. It doesn't say fathers and mothers. It says fathers. Now, why is that? There must be some type of proclivity. There must be some type of temptation. There must be some ability that a husband, a father has, that can be uniquely provoking of anger towards their children. So he says specifically, the word of God wouldn't warn fathers if there wasn't some kind of proclivity to it, if it wasn't a serious thing. So fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Also, this also lets you know something else. How important a father is in a home. How important. How much of a stability factor. How much the way he operates in that home the influence it has. Now, I'll tell you, when I start talking about this kind of stuff, we all come from different backgrounds. We, some of us come from homes where we may not have had a very benevolent dad. And I want to tell you, if that's your case, um, the Lord is the perfect father, right? So you're not stuck. Uh, don't buy into the false Freudian concepts that, if, that everything that's wrong with you today is a result of your parents. That's not true. That's not true. Your parents have an influence, but they are not the final indicator and decider. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. He's a new creation. What deficiency was there from a parent is always made up for through the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. The gospel is much more powerful. But yet we do see in Scripture that God means for a father to be a benevolent and a big force for good in the life of his children. And we have to take this into consideration that... It's not all the time, but sometimes when children are provoked to anger, since the Word of God mentions it, we do have to take a consideration that fathers have a unique role, that they can be a provoking type of parent. Now, I'm going to address fathers today, but listen, moms, this is, I mean, this can go for you as well, but on average, not all the time, but on average, you'll find that uh, a mother has a lot more nurturing aspect to her, and the the proclivities for her to be provoking don't seem to um, typically match him, you know, step for step. That's why one of the things you see that sometimes when you see a kid that's sometimes a failure to launch, especially in their adult years, is you'll see, you'll see a mom that wants to protect their child at all costs. She will not let them suffer. She will give them money. She will make it easy on them. At the same time, he's kind of on the opposite side. Y'all have never seen that situation, right? So, I mean, these are things that can become very difficult. But we see in Ephesians 6, 4, don't provoke them to anger, fathers. Tremendous influence. Um, I, if anything, fathers, for us today, I want you to r- recognize this. 
of whether anybody tells us we were right is it that we have a profound impact on our on our homes I, I think if there's anybody that has to be a careful watchman on the wall it's us also do this let me draw your attention to Colossians chapter 3 because in parallel passage Paul mentions this to men as well he says in verse go over to Colossians 3 just turn a book over actually two books over and it says this fathers Actually, we'll look in verse 18 of Colossians 3. Wives, be subject to your own husbands is fitting in the Lord. He's given the household code. Husband loves your wives and do not be embittered against them. Y'all never do that, right? Verse 20, children, obey your parents in all things for this is pleasing in the Lord. Here, household code. But now notice the nuance that Paul does here regarding fathers. Uniquely, he calls out fathers again, but he doesn't use the phrasing of by the way, wait a minute. I don't know if I... Can I take a pause here? Time out. I don't think I dismissed the kids for children's ministry today. Okay, we're good? Okay. All right. It says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they do not lose heart. Interesting. So in Ephesians, in the household code, he calls out fathers and said, Be careful not to provoke them to anger. Then in Colossians, when he's doing the household code... He mentions a different aspect. He says, fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they do not lose heart. Now, let's look at this word exasperate. I'm I'm using an LSB. It's a legacy standard Bible uh, here this morning. If you have an NASB, it will say exasperate. Um, So I think it's a good word, but sometimes that's a hard word to understand. When you start looking that word up in the Greek, that word as, um, you know, that word exasperate, it has the idea of stirring up, stirring, right? When you exasperate somebody, it's because you've kind of been on them, been on them, been on them, and you've just kind of just, you've just taken all the wind out of their sails, kind of. Well, the idea here is that there's a father who is exasperating his children. Now, it doesn't say exactly what he's doing here. It's just the warning of fathers, you have not only in Ephesians 6 do you have this potential to provoke to anger, but you also have a potential to exasperate, to stir up your children. Now, this is not a positive stirring up. It's a negative stirring up. And then the question would be, what kind of stirring are we talking about? Now, keep looking in verse four, uh, 21. So that they will not lose. Now, in my version, the translators use the word heart. Um, in your King James, if you have an ESV, It'll say the word like discouraged. One Greek dictionary says this, feel like giving up, feel like giving up, which I thought was was a really was a really good way to phrase it. So we have fathers do not stir your children up in such a way that they become discouraged or they feel like giving up. So we see some unique aspects here. Even here is fathers. Be careful. You could discourage them. You could stir them in such a way that they lose heart, that they become discouraged. They feel like giving up. Fathers, you have a unique role. You have a unique responsibility. You have a a unique position that the way you respond and react can actually do something like this. So that's what we're going to call. This is my basis for this message saying, um, fathers, a father that provokes and discourages his children. So, I've got 20 things I want to mention to you about things. And really, to be honest with you, some of this I'm really preaching to myself. Um, I've been a 
I've been a father now for many years. Um, what's interesting is I, I preached this message years ago when Arabella and Trinity were young, and it was really unique looking through these notes and kind of going, man, I want to use some of these things. And then it's like, man, all these things I purpose, I, I fall short. So it's good. Some of this is a reminder for my own soul. About half of, probably about half or two-thirds of some of the outline of what I'm using in this is uh, from a great book. And you'll see it. This will be one of the books recommended when we have our, um, when, we, when we get everything together to have a uh, bookstore. We're going to call it more of a resource center. Um, there's one book called The Heart of Anger, A Practical Help for Prevention and Care of Angry Children. If you're looking for a great book to read in parent, as parents, it's called The Heart of Anger, A Practical Help for Prevention of Care of chill, uh, and Anger in Your Children by Lou Priolo. Um, and I think it's one of the best books I've ever read. I actually have gotten a lot just actually in my own life from reading this book. It's a great book. But I use some of the outline of one of the chapters. One of the greatest chapters I've read in this book is this idea of a provoking parent. Now, typically when we look at this, we see provoking to anger. We do want to be careful that we don't stir them to discouragement. And I've thought to myself, this, that, you know, what are the different ways that a parent can do that, that a, that a father can do that? So I've got 20 ways that a father... I could say um, a mother and father, but specifically since we're kind of dealing with the warning towards dads, I want to speak towards dads on this. And dads, I would tell you this. One of the ways that we can provoke to anger and discourage our children is not pursuing marital harmony. Now, that may sound weird, but it's actually true. Marital harmony. You know, in Genesis 2.24, it says that a father... That a man will leave his father and mother and will cleave to his wife. They shall be one flesh. Five times the Bible uses this word, one flesh. This unity. So I'd say this. There's a unique thing that for children, they can be provoked to anger and they can be discouraged when there is a lack of marital harmony. And in the, in the home, the Bible lists the man as a main influencer. It lists him not only as a leader, but he's an influencer. That's why the warning is to fathers here. Fathers, I think we got to be careful that we are molding our lives in such a way that we're not trying to develop a closer relationship with our work or our recreation and not with our wife, right? We also have to be careful that we don't do foolish things, such as, as like as a man, never should our children ever hear us say such things as divorce or separation or to mention words like that. Our, our children should have a strong foundation and understanding that their home is, is a place that's not going to crater and crack. It's provoking and discouraging to a kid to have a dad who threatens to leave a home, who threatens that a marriage should be over. So one of the things that can be provoking and can be discouraging is so there's a father that's not, that's not pursuing marital harmony. Now listen, I know it takes two. I, I definitely would say that. But once again, I also would tell you this. The Bible puts such a big premium on men, on male leadership. Why? Not because everything depends on him, but he is a main impact and influencer on the home. So, by the way, I will tell you this. What's interesting, if you were ever to, and we're going to stop and look at some other scriptures here in a minute. I have several I'll kind of mention. We don't have time to turn to them. But it's interesting, when you read Hebrews 12 and 15, it says something very interesting. That you've got to be careful about a root of bitterness springing up 
that it can trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Many be defiled. I would say, man, if there is a lack of marital harmony, there is something that children will even pick up from that from dads. They'll pick up that character trait. And it, it, it can even be cantankerous for their life and their own relationships, but even for their own future. So, number one, I would say fathers, we have to be careful that we are not provoking to anger and stirring up discouragement through a lack of marital harmony. Number two is that we are not provoking to anger um, and not provoking, not stirring up discouragement because we're modeling sinful anger. We're, because we're modeling sinful anger. Now, I'll give you some time. Go back over to Ephesians chapter 4. I want to show this to you. Modeling sinful anger. Ephesians chapter 4. That we're modeling sinful anger. Now, by the way, just so you understand, you know what you're going to find out in this series? There is a such thing as righteous anger. There is a such thing as righteous anger. If you look at Ephesians 4, 26, it says, Be angry and do not sin, quoting from Psalm 4. But yet, you can, you, can, you can be sinful in your anger as well. When is anger righteous? Is when that anger is really your anger about something done to the Lord or somebody else. We'll talk more about that. But sinful anger is you're really angry about something done to yourself. And you manifest that in sinful ways. Look in verse 31. Here's a great manifestation of sinful anger. This is what it looks like. Verse 31. Let all bitterness. This is a manifestation. Father's. This is the type of sinful anger that is provoking and discouraging to our children. Let all bitterness, that is when there is an unforgiving spirit and you can't even stand the other person. Let all bitterness and anger and wrath. Now it's interesting, two different words are used, but both denote this idea of anger, but they're, they're kind of comparing them. So I would say this, let all bitterness these are very inwardly things, bitterness and anger. I often tell people, you get this idea here of kind of that icy cold anger. There's anger that explodes, and then there's anger that just ignores, right? How do you know, if, if you ever had this thing happen where you were angry, and then someone said, what's wrong? Nothing, right? You ever done that? Where you avoid the other person, you sleep in a separate room. I mean, I know, y'all don't know nothing about that, right? Or where... You just, you just completely minimize a person. That's that icy, cold anger. Then it says wrath. That's where you're boiling over. And the next word says shouting. You know, it's interesting. The LSB just goes ahead and says the word shouting. A lot of your translations may say clamor. That's what the word clamor means, shouting. Yes, yelling is a form of manifestation of sinful anger. When we're yelling, we're thinking that if we just yell louder... We'll just, they'll just get our point. That's what we're actually thinking. That's a manifestation of sinful anger. Bitterness, icy cold anger, blowing our top wrath, shouting, slander. Where we now start to blasphemy, that's the Greek word used there. We start to find every way that we can accuse and cut them down. All this should be put away from you along with all malice. So Father who is a provoking father, is one who actually puts on display sinful anger. And the dangerous thing about sinful anger, you don't have time to turn over there, but I'll read it for you. Proverbs 22 and verse 24 through 25 says, Do not befriend a man of anger, and do not come along with a man of great wrath, lest you learn his ways 
and take on a snare against your soul. You know, one of the difficult things about being a father is if we put on display sinful anger, according to Ephesians 4.31, that gets modeled for our children. And it's a model for how they can carry out in their own life. I mean, aren't we all in agreement that, I mean, because of our sinful nature, we don't just get better naturally, right? You understand that, right? We don't just get better naturally. We, we, we actually have a proclivity to go to downgrade. People all, all, all the time talk about evolution and not a believer in evolution. But if you want to talk about de-evolution, uh, man, maybe I could believe in that one, right? We are constantly devolving. So a man can provoke his children. Number, uh, number three, habitually dis- disciplining while angry. So not only displaying sinful anger, but fathers, we can be, we, we can be provoking and discouraging if we discipline while we're angry, while we're sinfully angry. The Bible says, be angry and do not sin. It says the wrath of man does not work God's righteousness. So this means that fathers, when we discipline, we must not do it in anger. Now, an, an unrighteous anger. Now, what does that look like when it's in unrighteous anger? Have you ever disciplined, those of you that are parents, have you ever disciplined because you're basically frustrated with your kids? Never happened, right? Never happened. Or inconvenienced by your kids? I know, it's never happened to any of us, right? That would be a, a, a manifestation of sinful anger. What does it look like when anger is righteous? When we have a righteous anger in our discipline towards our kid? That we actually are disciplining our kids not because we're inconvenienced, not because of the discomfort they've caused in our life, not because they've embarrassed us, not because we're at a restaurant and our kids are and our, our kids are acting up and we're wondering what is everybody else thinking around us, which, by the way, no one's thinking anything. The only people that are thinking negative things about you are the people who don't have kids, right? The rest of us that have kids, we, we pity you, right? I mean, that's the deal. But here's the deal. When we discipline our kids, we actually do it not to punish them, not because we've been inconvenienced, because we're trying to actually train them for godliness. That's the goal. And I'll I'll, I'll tell you this. When we train, when we discipline our kids, and our goal is, I want to be faithful to discipline them so that there is a change of heart and a change of life, we will discipline rightly. We will actually, that's actually a righteous anger where I'm disciplining you for your good and for the glory of God. That's righteous anger. That's a righteous type of discipline. And unrighteous is, I'm disciplining you because I just want you to suffer alone because I'm frustrated and this gives me some satisfaction on the inside. A provoking dad, a discouraging dad, is one that would habitually discipline in anger. I love the scripture of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10 through 11. It says this, that God disciplines us for our benefit, so that we may share in his holiness. And all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. But for those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruits of righteousness. God's discipline of us is actually not to punish us. It's actually to change behavior, to change heart, to change us in the future. So that's number four. Number five, being inconsistent with our discipline. Man, this one hits me sometimes. Having different standards being inconsistent, not letting our yes be yes and our no be no, as the scriptures clearly tell us. Um, changing, changing the rules, being inconsistent with our discipline is provoking, um, is discouraging. Number five, having double standards. 
You know what Paul says? He says something really interesting. Double standards, being a hypocrite. Paul says, be imitators of me just as I am of Christ. I have never said that to anybody yet. I mean, just for the fear. Like, I've never said to anybody, hey, guess what? You know, I'm going to pick on someone in the front row who, who looks like Ben. Ben, you look like you're pickable, right? I've never said to anybody like Ben, Ben, you 100%. I should. I'm just, for the fear of the Lord, like, Ben, do exactly as I do, because I do exactly as Jesus would do. Right? That's a tall order. That's tall. Now, Paul says that. Be imitators of me, just as I am of Christ. Paul says, I'm not a hypocrite. There's no double standard. There's this thing, sometimes if we've, we've heard fathers say, do as I say, not as I do. That's provoking. That would be, that would be discouraging. That's something the fathers wouldn't want to do. Remember, I'm just taking those principles of Ephesians 6, 4 and Colossians 3 and trying to look at, trying to look at how this actually manifests itself kind of in our own world. Number seven, not admitting you're wrong or not asking for forgiveness. I think this is a big one, number six. Not admitting a father that provokes, a father that's discouraging. It's breaking those commands here in Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3. I would say has a father that does not admit his wrong or ask for forgiveness. James 5.16 says, confess your faults one to another. Actually, let me get your eye sockets on this, your eyeballs on this one. Uh, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Just so, just so you understand. Now, uh, our children, especially if they're believers, they're your children, but they're also brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's one of the great things when a child becomes a follower of Jesus. The way we appeal to them is more and more as a brother and sister in Christ. That does not mean we don't discipline or parent them, but it does mean that we are appealing to them in a different way. We're appealing to the heart more and more. We're appealing to that aspect of worship. And it's interesting, in Matthew 5, 23, it says, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and you remember your brother has something against you, leave your offering there at the altar. Go, first be reconciled to your brother, then come and present your offering. The Lord is encouraging people to Repent of their sin, go and restore it and make it right. It's provoking to a child. It's discouraging if a father has genuinely sinned and genuinely won't admit their sin, ask for forgiveness, and confess it. And also I will tell you this, one of the beauties of that, when a father does such things and he has actually sinned against his children, that is a great gospel testimony to his children. Right? That is a great opportunity for, to talk about the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Fathers, have we ever actually, when we have sinned against our kids, have we actually asked for their forgiveness? Have we taught them? I cannot tell you how many times I've had people tell me, I've never had my dad admit that he's done wrong towards me when he did. Never heard it. By the way, I've heard people say that about their moms as well. Number seven, constantly finding fault. Number seven, constantly finding fault. We don't know anything about that one, right? Constantly finding fault. That can be provoking. That can be provoking to a child. That can be discouraging. Finding fault. It was interesting. Look at Romans chapter 2. Okay, y'all still with me? Y'all doing good? By the way, I just, as you're turning to, uh, did I say Romans? 
I meant Revelation. It begins with an R. It's close. Revelation, Romans, R. It's an R. It's good. <laughs> They're close to each other. It's, it's both in the New Testament. You're close. Hey, um, my father um, is, is more than likely, you know, watching this or might be watching it later. And um, just, uh, you, know, you know, Dad, I just want to send you a message that, you know, um, what's interesting is my dad, um, several times actually, he has done it just to make sure. He has taken me aside and just said, is there anything that's happened growing up um, that you're, you're upset about or angry about and how I raised you or what I did, you know? And uh, multiple times I've said, Dad, I don't, I don't have anything. Like, I, I don't have anything. And, and if, if I did, we've, the Lord is, you know, I've just forgiven it and just moved on. Like, nothing has been impacting. But I thought it was very interesting that he has, his heart before the Lord has wanted to make sure that he has opened himself up enough and been vulnerable enough to say to his children, hey, is there anything that's been provoking or discouraging that we've not been able to settle? Let's make sure and get this done right. Commendable, extremely commendable. The great dad. Constantly finding fault. That was interesting. Um, can we all admit it's easy to find fault with our kids? Am I, are we, am I the only person that does such a thing, right? Is it easy just to go towards the negative? But I, I, love, I love the sandwich, right? I love the cookie sandwich that we have in Revelation chapter 2. You didn't know there was a cookie in Revelation chapter 2? You didn't know that? Any of y'all like cookies, right? I like cookies that have a middle, right? That's the kind of cookies. Like in heaven, the kind of cookies we're going to have in glory are cookies that have a kind of some kind of middle cream filling or ice cream. I mean, heaven's not going to have just a, you know, chocolate chip cookie. It's going to be like a chocolate chip cookie with a, with a nice delicious layer in the middle and then another chocolate chip all like a sandwich, right? Heaven, heaven's going to be sandwich cookies. Y'all are looking at me very um, negative, like you don't believe me. Well... Let's look at it here. Let's see how the Lord does it. I, I, I like to call this the, uh, the cookie correction, right? A cookie correction, right? You know, like an Oreo. I love Oreos, right? But let's be honest. We all love the middle of the Oreo, don't we? That's the part of the cookie we like. We, we do the outside, but really we're just trying to get to the middle. Now, here's what we do in our parenting sometimes, provoking dads, dads to discourage. We go right for the middle, Right, we just try to get to the part we want, just that nicey, that nice cream middle. But here's what we got to do: we actually got to do the outsides as well. So look, look at this. This is Paul. I'm sorry. This is John speaking under the inspiration of, of of the Lord, speaking this message to the Ephesian church. He's got something negative to say to them. He's got some critique, not bad. Uh, what, what I said on this one was constantly finding fault. Constantly finding fault. Now, take a look in verse 2. John, the, John's writing through the inspiration of God to this church at Ephesus. And notice, before he says something negative, he says something positive. He gives the outside of the cookie. All right? I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, that you cannot bear those who are evil you put to the test those who call themselves apostles. They are not. And you found them to be false. And you have perseverance. And you're enduring for my namesake. You also have not grown weary. Verse 2 and 3. Positive. A positive aspect. There's a middle part he's trying to get to. There's a negative communication evaluation. 
But before he does it, he actually goes to the outside, right? So he gives something positive. He gives the outside of the cookie, right? Then he goes to the middle. He says, but I have this against you, that you've left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you've fallen, repent, do the deeds that you did at first. But if not, I'm coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. So verse 5, he goes for the middle, that middle part of the cookie, right? But I'm just telling you, this is how fathers, if we're not going to be fathers that provoke or discourage, we, we don't want to be constantly fault-finding. But when there is a fault, right, when there's something we need to address, we need to kind of do it, do it in kind of the cookie way here, right? We, we say what's good, then we, then we give the evaluation. And watch how he ends it up. The Lord ends it up. Yet this you do have. That you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. They're basically living a morally uncontrolled life and said it was okay with the Lord, which also I hate. So you see this, the negative, positive, I mean the positive, the negative, the positive. A lot of times when we're being overly critical and fault finding, we're we're actually you know, we're actually we're actually just trying to find the negative with our kids. Next time before we have something negative to deliver, what if we took the time sat them down, affirmed what was positive and good, then deliver the admonishment that's needed, then go back to the good. I'm trying to talk to us as fathers. We, we don't want to be provoking or discouraging to our children. Next is this, not listening to your child's opinion or not taking them seriously. The Bible says in Proverbs eighteen thirteen, he who responds with a word before he hears is a folly and shame to him. James 1.19 says we should be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Now, I will tell you this. Um, parenting, it is a, this may sound weird, but it's a benevolent dictatorship. <laughs> it really is. It's, I mean, when you look at the scripture, parenting is a benevolent dictatorship. It's not a negotiate. It's not democratic. You can read all the, the secular Freudian-based parenting books that, it's, it's not a democratic process. It's not that at all. But it's a benevolent dictatorship, right? And I would say one of the things that a dad can be provoking and can be discouraging, especially as your child develops through the years and grows into maturity, is that we won't just take their opinion seriously, take their thoughts seriously. It's a provoking thing. The Bible, there, it, never in life have I ever had to repent for listening too much. I have had to repent for saying too much. And I've noticed as a father, like one of the things you can do is you can quickly, either, either your child's trying to formulate a thought and you just want them to spit it out, or you're busy and you're in a hurry and you don't have time. And you just, I mean, that, these are things that we do. But as fathers, we don't want to be provoking. There, there, there's a warning, right? That fathers can be provoking and discouraging uniquely. Not listening to our children or taking their opinions seriously. That doesn't mean we do everything they say. But it does mean that they get a, a that, that they get a listening ear. That we want to, especially as they mature, we want to hear their opinion. We want to hear their thoughts. Once again, I'll tell you, it's a benevolent dictatorship, and a parent's not a a parent is not really trying to. You're not trying to make yourself your fr- your kid's best friend. That comes later on, right? Once they're out of your house, and and you know they bring the grandkids over and stuff like that. That's a, that's the time for them to be their friend and coach. Another provoking thing is comparing our children to others, comparing them, comparing them to their siblings, comparing them to others. And typically when we do that, we're taking their weakness and trying to match it against someone else's um, positive. 
Actually, in the scriptures, we compare ourselves to the holiness of God. And in that, we always fall short and we always know our need for the gospel. First John 2, 6 says, He that abides in Jesus ought also himself to walk in him. We actually don't, we don't, as fathers, we don't compare our kids against their other siblings. We actually continue to go back to our kids and encourage them with the standard of perfection that is in Jesus Christ. And in that, show them their need for the gospel. And in that, show them the love of God. But we don't make comparisons. We can be provoking. The next is by having a favorite child. Having a favorite child. Have we not read about that in the scriptures? Having a favorite child. Didn't we see that with, with, uh, um, with Isaac and Rebekah? Isaac clearly favored Esau. Rebekah favored Jacob. It caused quite a bit of problem. Didn't we see that even pass on? What we saw later on, Joseph. Joseph, um, um, we saw Isaac. He actually had a preference for Joseph above his other brothers. That's provoking when there is clearly a child that, 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 one, that you prefer more than others. As fathers, it can be provoking and discouraging. One of the things we've got to be careful about is if there's a child that really matches some of our natural desires and things that we like to do, that, that we actually would condescend, that we would actually be a servant and find ways that we can connect with that other kid. And it may be something totally different that you're not into. Next, it would be next provoking, discouraging is not just is not making time to just talk, not making time to just talk. You know, one of the things I found as a father is that we can make time. I can make time when I want to give some instruction to my kids. Right. I can make some time when I'm like, hey, I saw something wrong. I'm going to stomp up to the room and we're going to take care of this now. We're going to talk about this. But just making time for the incarnational human aspects. Right. What I love about Jesus is he's a perfect example John 1.14 says that he came and dwelt among us, right? Jesus did life among us. He talked with his people, right? He spent time with his disciples. Not, I mean, he spent a large amount and swath of time. It can be a provoking thing for when a father is not making time to just talk with his kids. One of the things I've learned from some great men of God is just how they will make time to actually discuss with their kids. I've seen, I've learned from men who, it's their common thing where they'll have like every week or two, they're, they're taking their kid out for a meal and they're just sitting down having talking time with no phones. Or there's one dad I know that, that one of the things he does is every couple of nights he just goes and sits on his kid's bed. He just has a conversation before night. But, it, but as dads, it can be provoking. We're not making time just to talk. And you might say, well, wait a minute. It's really hard because my kid's always in their bedroom, right? Y'all know nothing about that, right? Like my kid's always in their bedroom. Here's what we got to do sometimes as parents. Make them come out of their bedroom. <laughs> have them come out. It can be provoking. Like, you can't have a conversation if there's no proximity. That also means sometimes you may have to say no to something to actually make that time. Provoking to a kid can be chastising them in front of others. Matthew eighteen fifteen says, If your brother sins against you, go to him in what? In private, right? Tell him his fault between he, you and him alone. It's provoking to a kid to chastise and correct them in front of others. There's sometimes you may have to do that, but I would encourage us as dads that when we need to correct our children, don't if we can save their dignity and do the correction in the right way personally between you and them, that's a lot better. Next, I, next I have they kind of complement and contrast each other. A provoking to a child, a provoking dad would one, 
not allow his children to earn freedom that's appropriate. Not allow their children to earn freedom as is appropriate. You know, it's interesting when you look through the scriptures, you find like, for instance, in Luke 12, it says to whomever much is given, much will be required. And to whom men have committed much to him, they will ask more. Now, the context has to do with the Lord's return and the context has to do with being faithful and has for future, you know, for for future rewards. You know that the Lord's going to reward us according to our faithfulness here in glory, that if we've been faithful with a little, he'll make us faithful with much when the Lord um, the Lord's all about faithfulness. And there's a natural inborn thing into our children, especially as they progress and develop through the years, that is as they take on specific responsibilities, as they make biblically wise decisions, then there is amount of freedom that they earn. I'm not talking about this idea of just let them go to where they just make mistakes. Um, you know, But there is a measurement of wisdom in a parent that when they are... Executing specific responsibilities in the home, from homework to chores to things of that nature, their relationships, and they're making biblically wise decisions, whether it's how they're managing their allowance or if they've got a job, how they're managing that money, how they're managing their friendships, the things they're saying to their friends, how they're using their devices. Like you see some of this, like they're taking on great responsibility. It can be provoking uh, to kind of shelter them completely away from any sin that could happen. It could also be provoking that we would give our children too much unearned freedom. Too much. We have to be careful that we would not do that. It could be provoking to a kid. Although to them it wouldn't be provoking at the time. But one of the things as parents is if we don't see our kids walking in the specific responsibilities and making wise decisions, I don't care what their age is, that, that well, I actually do care. I mean, you know, there's a point where... <laughs> If they're 25 years old, you got to kind of let them go, right? But, but I'm talking they're still in your home, they're in the teen years, you're still the authority over them, that giving them more freedom than what their wisdom and responsibility structure that, that is executed, that can be provoking. Next is this, mocking, ridiculing, name-calling our children. Teasing them, saying things to them that, that um, that would that would be that would be angry that would be a provoking to anger. The scriptures tell us to let our communication in Ephesians four twenty nine that no corrupt communication proceed out of our mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. That means we wouldn't use name calling words to our kids. It'd be that'd be provoking and discouraging. That does mean that we would use biblically appropriate words with our kids if. If there's selfishness, we would say the word selfish. That's a, that's a good Bible word. That's a good translated Bible word. We'd use words like, that's idolatrous, or that may be foolish. We wouldn't want to say things like, you're dumb, you're moron. We wouldn't want to poke fun of anything about their body type. That could be provoking when dads do such things. Provoking and discouraging. Next, we wouldn't want to abuse them physically. What's interesting, um, in, the, in the younger years... There's, there's, it's biblically appropriate over and over in the scriptures to actually spank a kid. There's nothing wrong with that. If you spank it, trying to actually, with the gospel in mind, actually looking to not get out your frustration, but correct behavior. That's a great training tool that the Proverbs give us. But notice there's one place that you spank, right? And not to, not to be, you know, ugly or anything, but there's one muscle in the body that doesn't have the vital organs behind it and really can absorb the blow, right? 
And so there's only one place that a parent spanks. Here's where a parent goes further. When they start taking that and they go other directions in other places. That would be where parents slap or punch or push or shove or spit. That ought never come from a man. Mothers, never let that happen to your kids. Report him immediately to the authorities. But then as a man, never even get near the line of that. That's provoking. That's discouraging. Next, having unrealistic expectations of our kids. Unrealistic. There can be these ideas that, that sometimes a dad wants his kids to live for the glory. Like, for instance, if he has a son who's a great athlete and he was a great athlete, all men think they're great athletes until they get out of their 20s and they realize they probably weren't as great as they think they were. There could be this driving towards your kids, unrealistic expectations. Or maybe it's there, there's an, a, a, an expectation for what kind of grades they're going to make in school. What that's not bad. But really our focus in parents is not in, in our kids reaching some expectation of what's going to measure them greater against others. Our goal always for our children is whether you eat or, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, 1 Corinthians 10.31, do all to the what? The glory of God. That's our goal. We also have to realize, even Jesus in his incarnation in Luke 2.52, it says that he matured. He advanced in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. Sometimes even dads can have unrealistic expectations on their kids that their kids should be able to do things that they're not really capable of. One of the hardest things about being um, a dad when you have young children is you think your young children need to act like they're a 15-year-old, right? Is that dads will get upset with the three-year-old that's still having problems at the dinner table and you want to yell and scream or just get in an absolute fit. Y'all know nothing about this back in the day, right? Y'all know nothing about this kind of stuff. And and listen, even, even, even Jesus matured in wisdom and stature and favor. That kid's not mature yet. He's working through it. There's a training process that's happening. That's unrealistic expectations. And, and fathers, in those moments, they'll be, he'll, a father can be provoking and discouraging. Last, let's go over to Ephesians chapter 6 again as we end this. Ephesians chapter 6. Y'all doing okay? Y'all good? Y'all good? Okay. You glad to have me back? Man, is glad to be back. Man, I do not like recording messages. It feels weird. It feels like... I'm back during COVID when it was like me and three people in here and I'm speaking to this camera by myself. That last one we recorded for you, the Enneagram one, right? Let, let me tell you, I, the kids went to bed at camp, so I, then I kind of preached that message and recorded it. It was probably 11 o'clock at night. They all kind of got down. And let me tell you, that, that message took till about 3.30 in the morning to upload. You know, it was crazy, right? I start getting the thing uploaded and the internet's not working. Then the internet starts working and my computer decides it needs to um, do a thing called updating, right? <laughs> it's like, I get like halfway there and just like something happens. So I hope you appreciate it. If you haven't watched it, please go back and watch it. That one took a lot of pain to get to you. <laughs> please, please for my sanity. Now look in verse 4 of Ephesians 6. Fathers. Do not provoke your children to anger. So we've been doing all the don't, 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 don't. Now let's go to the positive side. Let's go to the side that God says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
So one of the things we got to be careful about as dads, um, that we're not training our children with worldly methodology. Worldly methodology such as my kid's a good person and they'll just figure it out on their own. And so um, this, this would be where you've got a two-year-old child and you're just kind of like, you know what, this kid just needs to sit there and think about it, right? Um, probably your kid's not going to think much about what he's just done, right? Spank him, let him know that you love him, set him back on his way, right? Be what's appropriate to his age. Or the idea of, or the, or the idea of using worldly philosophy such as you've got a 15-year-old and there's some difficult decisions for him to make in life and you just kind of go, you know what, sometimes you just got to kind of figure it out for yourself. And, you know, this is how I've done life. I've just figured it out for myself. You don't offer any counsel and uh, any, um, any counsel to kind of give him direction. You just kind of figure out like, man, he'll just kind of figure it out on himself. That's kind of a worldly philosophy. The world thinks that everybody has a good nature naturally, and we'll just all figure out the right answer. Actually, the scriptures speak a lot about having counsel. Scriptures speak a lot about the parent actually helping a lot in these wise decisions to make in life. So what we want to do is we'd want to offer discipline and instruction in the Lord. This is what the Lord wants from us as fathers. So what does it mean when it says discipline and instruction? Well, that word discipline has the idea of you're, you're doing a couple things. You're bringing structure. The younger a kid is, the heavier you are on the structure discipline. And also that word discipline right there has the idea of training. Training, meaning the discipline we do with our kids it's actually to help train them and train them and train them. If you've got younger kids, you know it takes a lot of training over and over and over. I can't tell you how many times when you're, the younger your kids are, you have to repeat the same thing because there's a training that's happening. There's this discipline. Everything we're doing, that word discipline, is, is, is fathers. We're trying to create structure in their life so that later as they get older, we're not using that structure part. We're using more the teaching part, the heart part. That's why in the scripture it says we ought to discipline and instruct in the Lord. And I kind of tell people it's like this. The younger kid is, the younger kid is, you may be heavier on the discipline part and lighter on the teaching part. And the older they get, and as they mature in the Lord, there starts to become more crossover with the older they get, there's less going for the structure discipline. There's more going towards the heart. Now it's different with every kid. I mean, there's a wisdom that parents have to have, and some of that has to do with them coming to the Lord and their maturity and who they are. There's a lot of factors that involve in that. But these are two elements. And here's one of the things I want to point out to dads. The way we do verse 4 is we have to make sure that we participate and lead and lean into the disciplined part in the younger years. And we have to make sure as fathers, as things progress towards the latter years, that we are still hanging in there and doing the teaching part that we're doing both elements wisely and and by the way even let's say even when you got a teenager there still may be some discipline aspects or maybe some structured discipline for instance if you want your kid to do something is really easy when your kids are in the teenage years you just have to take one thing away that they probably love anybody know what that is it's called a phone it's be amazing what can be motivated right but but do this you take a phone away as a dad Right? With your, with your teenage kid. Don't just take their phone away and just go, that's it. Like, you take the phone away and then there has to be some conversations about the heart. And you might be thinking, well, they'll roll their eyes every time they do that. Then, then one, that shows a the disrespect. And number two, 
It's not about the product. It's about being faithful, right? Parenting is about faithfulness, not necessarily the product. Now, we want the product to love and glorify God, but we're actually going for faithfulness. Sometimes parents will go, well, I've tried that kind of stuff. It doesn't work, Nick. It doesn't matter if it doesn't work. The Word of God says, discipline and instruct your kid. Let's just be faithful to what God says to do with our children, not what we think is pragmatic. Let's not use the world's philosophies. Let's use what God has said. And as I end this message, I just want to point out something. This is why the gospel is so essential to our life. Everything we do in parenting, it's with the gospel in mind. What's the gospel? It's, the, it's that I am a rotten sinner who is, wants his elbow room from God. I have broken God's law. I have broken his commandments. And Jesus come and atone for my sin in my place. And based on his work on the cross, I can be forgiven of sin and restored in relation to him. That's the gospel. God is, and God, through that, is changing me day in, day out, to conforming me to his image. Now, what does this look like as a dad who's not going to be, who doesn't want to provoke or discourage his kids? This means as a dad, everything I'm doing is with the gospel in mind, which is this idea of even if my kids don't want me to talk to them, I'm going to talk to them because Jesus came and talked to us and dwelt among us, right? I'm going to pursue relationship because Jesus came and pursued relationship with me. I didn't go after him. He came after me. When I sin, I'm going to confess my sin to my kids because Jesus, the, the immeasurable God of heaven, has forgiven me. Why am I afraid to confess my sin to anybody else? If my kid has sinned, I'm going to forgive my kid but because I've been forgiven of so much more. There's nothing my kid can do that's more than what I've done to the Lord. You see how the gospel informs everything? I'm, I'm actually going to do what I'm going to do with my kid, not because I'm hoping to get something or a product in the end, I want to actually focus on bringing glory to God because how could I not want to bring glory to God when I've been given the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus as my gift? The gospel has to be in mind. So we'll, we'll end with this. We'll, we'll come and worship team, make your way up here. And once again, this is a great time to take communion. As we take communion today, we are reminding ourselves of the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. We are reminding ourselves of our need for the gospel. And even as I discipline as fathers, as we... Try to be a father that doesn't provoke or discourage. If we can anchor, we can anchor into the gospel message, that undergirds all the motivation we need to actually do this. Would you stand to your feet? I want to pray over our time. And I want to pray, if there's anybody here that's without Christ, I want to pray a, a gospel prayer for them, and then I want to pray for the rest of us as we take the Lord's Supper together. And Father, I come to you, and there there may be someone here who maybe has never trusted Christ, never known you, never known the true good father. Maybe they've had a a life of seeing a bad example of a father. Lord, may the scriptures capture, may your word capture their heart. Thank you for saving me at 16. Thank you for showing me what you're like. Thank you for showing me my sin, your holiness, my need for forgiveness, and your substitution. For the rest of us, We're going to take communion here in a little bit. And there may be some of us that need to confess and forgive from the heart things against our own dads. There may be dads here that need to confess their own sin in all of our lives. There may be a time of confession. And then there's a time of once again enjoying what you give us. Thank you for forgiving our sin. 
Thank you for doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Let us have a time of singing and worshiping and taking communion and renewing this message of the gospel message in our souls. And God's people said, amen.